the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. Today we have a special guest, Mike Mosier. He's a partner at Retail Insight, a commercial real estate firm in San Diego. He brings over 35 years of experience in, in the retail arena, including development, site planning, retailer representation, leasing, strategic planning, and sales. He's completed over $4 billion of transactions over his career. Wow, that's a lot. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good, yeah. to, good to be here. That's good. So happy you, Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. <laughs> like, uh, glad you could make it in. And um, for over $4 billion in transactions, that's, that's got to equate to some, some cash. It's, it's a lot, a lot of deals over a lot of years. Yep. Some of them, you know, bigger deals add up. They can be large, you know, $150 million sales all the way down to small leases. That's cool. So it's a big spectrum. So you basically, you've been, you've, you're a veteran in the business. You know what you're doing, you know, you know what kind of what's coming down the pipe, you, you know, that's cool. We try to try yeah. to stay ahead of it. That's awesome. So you, you do all your business in San Diego. Is that right? Uh, we, I would say primarily Southern California. Okay. So we're in. Started in San Diego, but we branched out now. We do a lot of business up in Orange County and a fair amount out throughout the Inland Empire. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you, uh, I, I wanted to pick your brain on kind of what you see is happening in Southern California. So I think we have a lot of good stuff to go over. Let's start out with like, how'd you get into commercial real estate? Yeah, it, um, a little bit by default. I was, I was actually a pre-med major. At the University of San Diego, so I had a, a biology and chemistry degrees, and was on my way to medical school. I had a little bit of a hiatus while I had submitted all my applications and wasn't sure where I was going to get in. and And um, I, my brother had gotten a job back then at Coldwell Banker, which was kind of the preeminent real estate right. commercial real estate company at the time. And so I thought, you know, I better have a fallback plan if if I don't get into med school and, and I need to do something else. So I ended up getting a summer job there and really, really liked it. And I ended up getting into, into medical school um, at Creighton back in Nebraska. Okay. And I had like a two week window to decide which path I was going to go down. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of <laughs> two weeks of not sleeping. And Either off to Nebraska to college. Yeah, I was or... like, go off to Nebraska, leave my my wife now as my girlfriend then mm-hmm. and my family. I wow. I visited there one weekend and it was as cold <laughs> as can be and as flat and boring as can be and mm-hmm. and I was enjoying my early stint a couple months in the real estate environment. I just I ended up picking that path. Wow. So whole whole lot of different. Little path. fork in the road, right? Would have been a whole different path. You think, you know, if you would have left, and who knows if you would, have, yeah. I mean, who knows where you would be today, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to look at those those uh, forks in the road, you know, and like look back and be like, wow. you know, I'm sure you you're you're happy with, with the decision. Yeah, no, I'm. I think I'm really happy <laughs> with with the path I chose. Yeah, it's cool. So, are you passionate about commercial, or does it just sort of like became one of those things that you just fell into and you and you just ended up liking it and sticking with it or was it how, how did that I, well I think initially I didn't know what I what I didn't know yeah. um, I had an older brother who was in the business and was starting to see some real good success and he was about four or five years ahead of me okay and so I think by you know seeing his passion for the business and then getting into the office and being around a whole group of people who are super passionate about real estate, yep. then that really kind of stokes your fire a little bit on the business. And, mm-hmm. and cool. I followed my brother down the path. He was in retail and, and trained under him and another, another senior guy in the office. So have been doing retail ever since. That's cool. Um, so tell us a little bit about your company, Retail Insight. So we, we are, um, we're a small boutique firm. We've got, you know, roughly 25 um, people in our company. So we're, we're very nimble. Mm-hmm. Um, we, myself and my two partners, uh, both started out at big firms and, and I was at Cobalt Banker CBRE for almost 25 years and just wanted to leave and be a little bit more entrepreneurial and, and have our own company. So That's we, cool. uh, Retail Insights was founded. I think we just hit our 25 year mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined in 2015, so I came a little late to the party, but we've grown it a little bit since then, and we're continuing to kind of expand. Cool. 
So what, what's it like going from a big firm like CBRE to starting your own in the commercial real estate business? Because, you know, we've done the same thing. I think probably a lot of our listeners may have worked at one point for like a Wells or like a bigger, you know, lender. And then they kind of went off and started their own brokerage. Like what, what, how, how tough is it to do in the commercial side? Is it, is it real tough? Uh, I think if you if you're just starting out from scratch, it might be a little bit tougher. It's really the people that you're around mm -hmm. and the the relationships, right, right, that are the most important. And we'd all been the principals have been in the business for a while, so we had a lot of those relationships. And I think it it actually kind of gives you a boost of energy to control your own destiny and own That's your cool. own company. And and now it's given us the ability to to kind of pour back into younger people. Mm -hmm which at this stage is really fun to see a new person come in the business yeah. and really see them grow, you know, over the course of four or five years and, and pour into them and in a creative way. So yeah. it's good for the company. It's also good, good for the younger person who can kind of ride on your coattails and learn and, and grow. Yeah. It keeps that energy going. Yeah. We do some similar stuff here with the account executives and train them up and, you know, see some of them make it, some of them don't, some of them are thriving and, some just, you know, and sometimes you can kind of tell in the beginning, like who's going to make it and who's not. But it's still like a one of those things that, you know, you never are 100 percent sure that like someone's going to make it. Right. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think a little bit like we were when you're young, you you've got to get in and get your put your feet in the water and and start going. And then you realize is this for me. Right. Do I have the, the passion for it and yeah. the energy and the drive? Because it's it's a pretty pretty entrepreneurial business. You're your own mm -hmm. business and right. you kind of hunt and kill <laughs> and make what you hunt and kill. So, right. and there could be some, uh, lean months for sure. I mean, we know this business is very cyclical, but like, you know, especially when you're starting out, you can have like these months where you're like, gosh, this is ever going to hit. And then you just have to have that either unlike wavering optimism or ability to fail and, you know, keep coming back up and, so I think it's it takes a special person sometimes to really do something like that. So that's that's cool. Um, and hopefully keep your overhead low enough. <laughs> I remember when I was when I was just starting out, we hit the early '90s was a pretty rough recessionary time. Yep. And I watched some of the senior guys with big mortgages, fancy cars, <laughs> you know, try to ride through a right. year or two of really tough times, and that that was a good learning lesson. Like, okay, keep, stay. Yeah, lean stay, and mean. stay lean and mean, and you know when you when you can afford to get out, buy something when you can afford it at that level, but don't put yourself under duress because a, a an all commission kind of a job is something you don't want to be um, stressed out trying to do. There's enough pressure to yeah. perform without having the mm -hmm. financial pressure on your back. Yeah, hundred percent. That's, that's wisdom right there. One um, one so, someone told me early on in my business was like don't ever tell your wife or girlfriend what you're making or what's in the pipe because, you know, there's a good chance it could fall out. And then, you know, instead of having like excitement, you have this disappointment. And so just, you know, put your head down, keep working hard and, and, you know, let what closes closes. Don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Right. Like, is that, is it similar like that in commercial? Yeah. I think it's, it's real, real similar after you're in it for a while, you kind of, the highs and the lows sort of blend a little bit. Mm-hmm. And every day is a new day. You can go home knowing you, you lost a huge deal. Right. And then the next morning, something else, you're chasing something else or something else falls in your lap. So I think you, you end up being pretty even keeled yeah. and you don't count anything until it's That's done close. and paid. <laughs> yeah. Till, I'm sure you have some funny stories or some, uh, maybe they're not funny, maybe they're sad, but stories of where deals have, you know, almost to the finish line and something happened. I mean, I have a bunch, but like, I'm sure you, we could, we can go there. Do you, do you have anything on uh, at top of mind that you could share? Like where like a deal where you knew it was a big commission and it kind of just slipped away or something happened. Um, I, I don't know if I have one specific, there's probably so many of them over, right. over time. It just kind of adds up. But, um, I mean, I'm selling a shopping center now for $35 million. We're in, I'm in my third escrow. <laughs> on that shopping center, just oh, wow. a sign of the times, yeah. you know, where things are changing now mm -hmm. in the economy over the last year. So, you know, the first escrow, you think, hey, this is, yeah, I feel really good. This is a great buyer, solid, got the yep. capital, is going to perform, great reputation. <laughs> and then <laughs> on to number two, <laughs> right. same thing. So well, in this market, what, what's causing them to fall out? What do you think? Is it, is it interest rates or is it just a number of things like? 
Yeah, I would say primarily the interest rate shift. I mean, it's just, you know, I've never seen anything in my career this dramatic, I'm sure for you guys too, in the right. mortgage business, where the shift in interest rates has happened so quickly. Yeah. And so, you know, our, our values in commercial real estate are just, they're directly a reflection of interest rates and yeah. your return on leverage equity and, and all of those things. So, um, from an investment standpoint, it's, it's, you're, you're kind of, you know, the, the knife's fall, been falling because mm -hmm. every tick up in interest rates creates a different value. Sellers have to readjust to that and it takes them a while to figure that out. Buyers are more right. skittish, right? you know, to come in cause they're not sure where, where the falling knife's going to stop. Yeah. It's hard to value something when it keeps moving. It's like the volatility yeah. makes it tough. Yeah. We, so we deal with some of that with uh, our buyer pools and, we pull together all our loans and then it's like we have this loan, this loan pool that's, you know, really kind of aged uh, from a month ago or so. And then you've got, you know, the new market where people are pricing it at, you know, so you're like, you know, it's like a falling knife. Like you said, it's a little tough. Um, speaking of that, uh, when COVID hit and, you know, we retail, I'm sure was hit really hard because, you know, non-essential businesses, people had to close. What was going through your head at that time? Yeah, I think initially it was like batting down the hatches, boys, because we're, yeah. we're in for a rough time, especially the first couple of months when you're sitting at home for, for 45 <laughs> days, you know. Right. Drinking a little more yeah. tequila than yeah, you yeah. normally do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Playing cornhole with your kids out in the front yard. You're like, what am I going to do? Right, right. Um, so I think we everybody retracted and trying to figure out where it was going to go. You know, in retrospect, it ended up being really good for us in retail. Mm -hmm. um, it created a lot of opportunity. There were a lot of spaces and businesses that opened up that never would have come available. So while it was some, you know, more distress, I think on owners, particularly yeah. if you had fitness, entertainment concepts, movie theaters, sure. restaurants, I mean, all those things that were getting hit really hard, that was a lot of distress. But it also opened up a lot of opportunities for us to reposition those spaces and then put new tenants back in mm -hmm. on so the backside. So you had some transactions that, so that opened up. We had, we had a record year that, that year. 21 or 20? Yeah, in 21. Yeah. Um, just despite the fact that we we thought, you know, everything was going to fall off mm -hmm. off the map. And then and walk then, me through like 22. Like 21 was awesome. I think for mortgages for us, it was the best year we've had in many, many years. Then 22 hit, and then that's when the rates started going up, and that really hit us hard. So how did, how did that affect commercial and, re I, and the retail space? I think the re retail's still strong. I mean, the one thing we have in Southern California is very resilient retail market. The barriers to building anything are really tough. Yeah. So It keeps supply limited. It, it keeps supply really limited, you know, as opposed to markets like Phoenix or... Vegas or places where there's a lot of land and they're just expanding outward. Right. We've got Mexico, the mountains, ocean. the ocean, <laughs> and Camp Pendleton and San Diego, at least. You're really, really uh, segmented in. Yeah. And uh, building something is tough. Even getting approvals is very tough. And right. getting entitlements. And you know, we have projects that we work on for six or seven years before they come to fruition. I believe it. Yeah. Wow. Especially because California is just tough too to get, right? To get things passed and getting the permits and all that. It's just I'm sure it's just tough, tougher than some spots. Um, have you seen like, uh, there, you said there was resilience and obviously because of the supply and demand. But what's the consumer doing right now with retail? I mean, I know Amazon is trying to continue to take more market share, which is a lot of different goods that you would have normally in like a retail, either a mall. I'm sure malls are getting hit pretty hard. I know you were mentioning that some, I mean, we were talking earlier about some, uh, there's a mall in San Diego that's getting converted to like life science, right? Or something like that. Um, there's other stuff that's happening that, that that's shifting away from maybe malls, but retail strips seem to be doing okay. Like, especially in Southern California, people still want to get out, especially when there's nice weather, they want to get out and you know, get, get themselves a coffee or whatever, go shopping. And is that, are you seeing that, that, that demand? Yeah. There? Yeah. I would say in general demand is really strong. I mean, we've been, we've been hearing about the internet yep. and our business going away for, you know, not just <laughs> since COVID, but probably for the last 15 years right. or whatever it's been. 
Right. And despite that fact, there's still the internet is maybe in the teens in terms of, you know, mid teens to maybe upper teens in terms of total retail sales. Mm -hmm. So you still got 80 to 85% of all sales are taking place in physical stores. Wow. And I think it's what people don't realize is how hard it is to make it. If you're just a pure internet only company, Mm -hmm. you're battling for space and visibility on all these platforms. It's expensive. True. There's a lot of companies that fail. Yeah. And I think a lot of the internet companies have realized that with a physical presence, Mm -hmm. you really need both. Yeah. The physical stores realize, you know, we need to also have an online presence to make ourselves as successful as we possibly can. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think the other part is just, you know, Amazon hasn't made a dime delivering things to our doorsteps. I mean, they're they're losing money yeah. delivering things to us. So it's not a money-making venture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, asking a grocery store to to go now do what you used to do when you or your wife used to do and going into the store and picking up walking aisle to aisle packaging up all your things like an Instacart putting them in a car driving them to your house well they're now covering all that cost and expense like a Vons you're saying yeah so like a Vons has their own internal kind of Instacart kind of thing where they can deliver to you and, yeah I mean any yeah. anybody whether it's whether it's Vons or it's Ralph's or it's Whole Foods or yeah. it's Amazon itself delivering groceries which they own Whole Foods right um, that that's not a money maker Right. For them. They're doing they're now taking over the labor that we used to do ourselves mm-hmm. of going in and picking everything out and walking it up to the counter and driving it home. Wow. That would be cost. Yeah. Costly. So and groceries were already a super thin margin. Uh, Why product. do you think they're doing that? Are they, they are they just trying to put people out of business? It's kind of like the old way of like we're going to keep things low and get try to get market share. And then just, you know, at some point they're going to win. I th- I think so. There's a yeah. little bit of a a chase to the edge of the cliff and maybe <laughs> off the cliff. I think yeah, Amazon maybe forced that because everything was going that direction. If if you're a grocer and you're publicly traded on Wall Street, they want to what what's your online proposition right. and how are you going to compete with this? Sure. So far, I, nobody's made any money doing it, and I don't know. <laughs> it probably remains to be seen where yeah. that's going to go. Yeah, interesting Um, how, you know, you just wonder how long they can do it for. Like, how long are they going to keep this going on to where it's like, oh, crap, we got to raise our prices to cover all these costs. And then there's another inflation thing, right? It's like now all of a sudden cost of food is up. And at some point, you know, they're going to have to say, you know, especially the shareholders are going to look at it and go, you can't keep running these losses. And, you know. Yeah, at some point, I think it'll it'll probably come to roost. And who knows where, you know, maybe at some point if we have driverless cars and people, the delivery proposition is cheap and right. maybe things will change, you know, when that happens, if and when it happens. Right. So what trends are you seeing in retail? Like, like who's who's the where's the demand coming from as far as like sh- types of shops? Is it clothing stores? Is it is it food? Like what's where's the retail demand coming? I think it. um you know, it really follows the consumer completely. And mm. so we've got an economy now that is really um, split between less of, you know, the middle class is, is getting The haves and haves not. Have nots, yeah, it's yeah. the haves and the have not. It's the upper, the upper echelon that is a high-end consumer and can afford to get everything delivered and is, you know, shopping at the higher-end stores and, and, and I think then there's a whole different level of consumer that is, you know, shopping at Walmart. Right. Is um, going Target. to dollar stores. I right. mean, the dollar stores are the fastest growing oh, segment really? of the of the retail industry. There are, you know, wow. thousands of stores getting opened all over the country. So I think there's I a real. I've seeing more of those. Yeah. Yeah, I don't ever go to those. That's because you're in coastal San Diego and you don't travel outside of it. (laughs) I used to go to those when I was in college. (laughs) Dollar store all the time. Yeah. But, and you know, you can always find good deals there and stuff. And they have, they have, probably should go start going there. Yeah. (laughs) No, but um, that, that, that's interesting to see. I mean, so you're seeing like, as far as economy goes, you're seeing a a split between, like we said, the haves and have nots or have, yeah. And, and, 
the middle class kind of eroding a little bit in the United States? You see that? Like, is that yeah, a trend? Yeah, I think, I think so in terms of just the consumer. Yeah. So you have heavy, we have heavy expansion now with the Burlington Coats and TJ Maxx's yeah. and all of those, Ross and all of those stores that are really, you know, value oriented. Right. And then you have the upper echelon stores, you know, that are going into projects like UTC or Fashion Valley. And, right. you know, they may, they may service, uh, you know, Hermé may do a store and they, they have 250 customers a year. And those customers are spending two hundred thousand dollars each in the store. Well, they only need two hundred and fifty customers. Right. They don't care about the rest of the consumer sure. base. Yes. They've got their volume covered. Yeah. With that. So you have a there's a there's a real dichotomy there and and there's definitely a split in the kind of the wealth gap that's that's real across the whole country. Right. I I noticed, I think it was last Christmas, that there was a trend on people going into a store, maybe checking things out, trying it on or, and then buying still online. Is that, a, do you think that's the trend? Is that continuing? Is that, is that something that you, you've been seeing too? Where like, it's almost like you're going to like a, what's the word? Um, where you can try stuff on, like it'd be like a, like a, a showroom or something. Right. And then, yeah. you can, then you still maybe go in or you even go there and you buy and they ship it to you. So you're not really walking out with bags, you know, you're, you're at least, and I've had that happen where I go to look for a shirt and they don't have it in stock and then they, oh, we'll ship it to you, no problem. And then you, you know, pay for it right there and it's your house two days later, something like that. Yeah, I think there's, that's that combo that we yeah. were talking about earlier of having the physical store. Right. You know, on the flip side, you can get 10 shirts sent to you at your house and you try all 10 on, you maybe like one out of 10, you're sending nine back. Right. Because you go, ah, I didn't like the way that fit or those pants didn't really fit me the way I like it or. Yeah. So there's a lot of returns in the online realm if you don't have that physical part of it where you're right. actually putting something on and going, hey, this looks good on me or right. I like the way this fits me. Then you're going to see a lot of things going back and forth. So having that combo, I think, is is a is a good thing because right. you can go in, you kind of get. Plus, there's an experience factor Yeah. in all of retail, right, that. We want to go out to restaurants. We all learned this in COVID. We don't want to be sitting. It's nice to sit at your house for a few weeks, but after that, you're like, oh, you miss it. So I remember <laughs> missing it so bad. Like just thinking, I remember we went to the the first time we went to, a, I think it was a Union Bar in Encinitas. And I was like, this is so nice being able to have a beer, order a burger, whatever. I was just like, this is, this is way cool. We missed it. Or you take it for granted. And, um, but yeah, so I, I think that like, even though there's a push maybe globally to kind of get everything delivered and keep us all at home, who know, you know, whoever knows really where, where all that will shake out. But I think people, whether it's the, there's a dopamine hit when you shop, right? You buy something new and you have it in your hands. It's like, it, there's something got it. There has to be something different about that experience versus just online click wait. You know, you don't get the same instant gratification as you do when you go to a shop. Yeah, and the retail some, is going to be around. I mean, I mean yeah. you, you agree? There's the interactive factor. There's, right. uh, you know, you're spending an afternoon walking the street somewhere and going in and out of shops, and it it there's something about that that people gravitate to, just like going to an entertainment or going to see a movie or right um, doing something that that's got an entertainment orientation to it. Yeah, it's I, always, I was wondering about. It's always going to be there. It's a personal thing where you're you're in. You want to be in person. It's an yeah. experience. I used to be the biggest movie buff. Like I would go to the movies almost every weekend. And now once a quarter go to the movies. And I'm just like, and it's enjoyable when you go to the movies. One, there's not that many great movies anymore for some reason. And then two, uh, you know, we just get used to kind of doing it all, all on your, you know, Netflix or whatever. But yeah, I'm curious if, do you think movie theaters are, are going to stick around for, for a long time? Or do you think um, that'll be a thing of the past? You know, I don't, it, I, I hear, I hear um, kind of back and forth on that. You know, some people believe because Hollywood is producing the movies and that there's, there's a big first run experience part of that yeah. and, and making a movie on a big screen is, is the way they want to show it. Right. Um, I think for that reason, you would say it's going to stay around and the theaters business has actually started to come back. Yeah you know, to where it was before COVID. Yeah, that's good. Um, whether or not it's, I think people have shifted. I mean, that's one thing that you, 
you probably do less of yeah especially with all the streaming services and everything so yeah. accessible at your house yeah i wonder if like the especially the young people like they're so many people now would just rather be on TikTok or whatever it is, you know, YouTube reels or uh, shorts. Yeah, they're called shorts. But like that's kind of where the – so you just wonder what that generation is going to want. Are they going to want, you know, full-length movies? Or are they going to be okay with that? Or are they, they're not? Is it still the, – is it the older demographic that's going to the theater? I don't know. It's be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, talk, to, talk to me about like any projects you're excited about right now. I know you're working on some big stuff we talked about earlier. What's, what's some good stuff you're working on? Yeah, we're, um, we've got a handful of uh, bigger new projects that we're working on. The one, uh, one downtown called Rad, which mm -hmm. is right on the water, right next to Seaport Village. Um, two, of our, two of my associates are, are handling that, spearheading it. It's a couple hundred thousand feet of really high-level high high quality retail and restaurants and we're getting some really good uh, cool. interest in that there's going to be a lot of really good restaurants going in there views looking out over the bay it's pretty phenomenal that's cool project with with um uh, lab space basically spec lab space Interesting. for biotech over a million square feet up wow. above it so so you down below you have like a nice walkable you know sea view yeah. restaurant yeah. high end and then above you got all that that medical or lab stuff yeah it's so cool. we're working on that we're doing all the retail around riverwalk which is a conversion of the golf course in mission valley okay. there's about four thousand new apartment units planned there and then we're doing a kind of a curated retail village in the middle of it with some new restaurants and cool so that'll be an exciting new project so is that Mission Valley Mall that's being kind of converted or? Uh, this is to the west of Fashion Valley. Fashion Valley, okay. Yeah, where the golf course is there. Oh, okay, cool. That's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah I've, I was down at Fashion Valley recently and, and they have a bunch of new stuff there too, but I just, I, I hardly ever go to the mall anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure my wife does, but I mean, it's, but that's cool that they're putting that in. Um, is, are they taking out the golf course? Yeah, right now half the golf course is gone. Okay. It's it's all graded and leveled out, and and they're going to start hopefully groundbreaking in January. Cool. On the first phase, it'll be about a thousand units, and we've got about eighty thousand feet of retail, mm -hmm. food and beverage, and a small grocery component. That's cool. So um, we know in San Diego and Southern California, there's a limited supply of of residential houses, right? So, you know, you just have such a small, I think there was only 2,000 listings last I checked in San Diego of, of homes for sale. Talk to me about um, like, like multifamily and how that's growing and kind of is there a push or trend to really develop that and why? You know, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a big component of the growth that we're seeing all over San Diego. Yeah. And the city has made it really easy. Mm -hmm. You know, I talked about years of trying to get something planned and entitled and right. approved earlier. Yeah. Right now, if you have a residential project, I mean, by right, you submit a building permit, they pass enough new, you know, legislation or new laws and, and zoning upgraded mm -hmm. the zoning to where by right, you can go in and build, you know, high density projects. Wow. So you look at an area like Mission Valley, there's there's three projects just in the valley alone that have over 4,000 units planned mm. by themselves. Oh, wow. Plus others. So you see that there. You see it in North Park, um, yeah. downtown, Little Italy. I mean, mm -hmm. all of those areas. There's, there, it's good. Ten years from now, you're not probably not going to recognize a lot of those areas because it's going to be very dense wow. housing. Do you What's that going to do, do you think, to the traffic? I mean, I, I know there's also probably somebody smart going, hey, we're putting in all these density, you know, multifamily projects. How are we going to handle the traffic? And is it, you know, from my from my uh, understanding, it's like less cars, more trans, you know, public transportation or walkable cities. Right. Like that's mm -hmm. probably something that I wanted to get into. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I mean, the. The planner's theory is no one's going to have a car yeah. and we're all going to jump on a trolley. And, right. you know, now from a practical standpoint, we're not New York City. Right. We're not riding BART. We're not in San Francisco. Sure. Um, we don't have that kind of infrastructure to make it really convenient at this point. So it's a good question. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, 
there's going to be a lot more people and a lot more density and uh, a lot more potential traffic on the road. I mean, some of the regulations now don't even require you to park these projects. I mean, really? it, technically, they have parking from yeah. a practical standpoint. The builders are still providing parking because they know that's how people are still functioning. Right. Like under underground parking or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I heard of something called um, 15 minute cities. I wanted to ask you about that. But uh, to that point, there's also something that's called uh, there's a project in San Diego called the the city of villages. Have you heard of this? Mm hmm. We're like they're there's going to be these little villages that are all like 15 minute cities or something to that effect. What do you know about that? I mean, that that's really part of the zoning where mm -hmm. the city is city systematically going through each community and each community plan mm -hmm. and raising the density levels, basically looking at rezoning big portions of those, Yeah. whether it's, you know, North park where they rezone everything along main corridors or transit corridors or, Kind of keep people UTC within or, their 15 minutes of where they live so they don't have to be driving you know every day unless they're working right like the commute but like the 15 minute city concept is interesting to me because there's some people that are against it obviously some people that are like this is the way of the future this is the only way we're going to be able to handle the density and ha handle the population um is there a way to capitalize on that um, I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard of like necessarily the 15, I've heard of the 15 minute city, but I haven't really heard it discussed in that way in San Diego. Yeah. But I think there is a lot of the, like live, work and play, right? Sure. Like, you know, we did the one Paseo project. And right. so that's a, a smaller example of offices, yep. apartments, really cool curated retail with yep. restaurants and a village and yeah. If you live there, you can go downstairs and they've got places where you can work out. You have restaurants, you have so the that, grocery markets. If you yeah. happen to be lucky enough to office there, <laughs> office a few blocks away here, you're not that right. far away. Um, the live, work and play where you're in that kind of a community, I think is a real a real goal yeah. that a lot of people are aspiring to. Right. So I mean Riverwalk, it's you know the same a curated village surrounded by higher density apartments. Yeah. You know, on a trolley stop. So True. a lot of those elements are, that's, are that's definitely good. coming into play when you look at how the city is looking at the master plan mm -hmm. of where we, where do we go from here, especially to provide housing for with the cost of housing for, you know, all right. of our kids and younger people who are trying to get into the housing market. Right. Yeah. What do you think that's going to be like in the next 10 to 15 years? How, how do you think, um, with permits, you probably you probably can see that kind of trend with people making permits. There's not a lot of new home projects, right? Like new developer projects, like a like a KB Homes, and they're just not building, right? Like it's so it's it's all focus on the multifamily side with these little villages. What is that going to do? Do you think to the residential real estate market? Just I mean, it's still constricted. It's still limited supply. We're still you know values are still going up because there's just not much available. And, you know, people will say, well, I either live in, a, in an apartment or I'm going to go find a house, but the, the prices are going to probably vary so much over time, like 10 to 15 years from now. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the residential values are going to be strong. I'm right. not in that, not in that business every right. day, but we definitely need more housing. We're still very supply constrained. There's still a lot of people that want to be in San Diego. Yeah. We have great, great industry and growth, you know, with mm -hmm. the biotech especially is, is huge here. Um, right. We have, you know, the military is a huge and defense contracting. And so we have some real growth elements. And but besides the fact that San Diego is a great place to live. Right. So I think you're going to continue to see demand. Mm -hmm. And I think the residential growth that we see is just really providing. We're not even getting close to supplying what we need to supply. Right. So you'll have you have options to live in an apartment, right? And, and one of the things that I think back, you know, when this happened in I think 0506, there was a big growth uh, thing happening, and and a lot of these these condos were condo conversions. So they were originally apartments, and then they became condos. Do you ever see that happening again, or do you think everything is going to stay rental, apartment, multifamily? Um, 
you know, or do you think that might shift at some point to like create places where people can own, you know, instead of just rent? I think, um, I mean, I think the biggest, probably the biggest drawback on the condos is just the, the lawsuit element. Yeah. And you've got a, what, a 10 year tail once you <laughs> build those and people can come back and sue you for all kinds of things. And that really. Yeah, that was hard. When we were younger, the condo was a big thing. There were a lot of condos being built and they were right. being sold. So I think that just shifted everything into more into rental housing right. and apartments. Especially these rates, like it's going to be hard for someone to qualify for, for a, even a condo, you know. Um, what about the, the economy? I know we talked about the, the residential as far as where you think that's headed, but um, just economy in general. I mean, I know we don't have crystal balls, but we've been through some cycles, right? And you know, you've been doing this a while. Like, what? Where do you see it headed over the next year or so? I know elections come in. Like, what? What? What do you see? Well, I, I've kind of given up on on predicting, predicting. <laughs> where we're going. Yeah, I do think if we see, you know, we continue to see rates increasing. I mean, it's going to just put more pressure on the consumers, right. and I think that, you know, at some point some point you have to imagine we're going to we've had a long positive run here yeah since we had a major downturn mhm so it's a, it's a cycle and yeah. we've been through i've been through like four of them now um yeah. so it and it, it doesn't always go up and we, <laughs> at some point we're going to if i had to predict there's going to be some some kind of pullback yeah. some kind of pullback or some kind of turn how would it come about do you think because we've seen all the different black swans, like we've seen the COVID, right? But that didn't really pull it back. We've seen the banking crisis, right? That did it. What what other things do you think could create that? It's it's a hard question, I know, because there's like that's what I'm trying to find. You know, when there's only a limited supply. You know, I guess if you overbuild maybe multifamily units, and then, but there's still the population growth, right? So it's like how how do, where does it come from? What's the next? You know, what's, yeah. what could it I be? I mean, I think what, you know, the positive, if you're looking at San Diego and even Southern California, Orange County, some of the markets that we work up there, right, is what you just hit on is the supply. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, we don't have any land. Like you, you mentioned earlier, you don't see a lot of single family housing. Why? Because we don't have any land to build it on. Right. So the only thing we can do is go dense and go vertical in San Diego because we're, other than Southeast Chula Vista, Otay Ranch, or... Yeah. A couple of pockets where you have actual raw land that can be developed into housing. We just don't have it. Right. And I think what people are doing is they're buying up a single family house, like say in a, in a uh, residential kind of area, um, say like North Park. or something, Right. Instead of just it wouldn't make sense for them to just put in a new single family house just because they could. But it's like. Where are we going to maximize and make more money? They're going to, oh, let's make a fourplex. Oh, that's even better. Let's make an eightplex. Let's go up. Let's make this, you know, one acre little, it used to be a cute little, you know, uh, ranch style house that's 50 years, 60 years old. And now they're like, we could put 20 houses, you know, 20 yeah. apartments on that. Yeah. And that would make the most money or return for investors. So do you think that, because I, I think that was a lot of what was happening as people were just, you know, doing fix and flips. They were like, maybe they'd add a, an ADU. And it'd just be like, instead of a one unit, now it's a two unit and they'd sell it and fix it. But now it's like, there's so much, is there pressure to, to make it even more dense than like a two unit? I think, I think so. And then you're probably not, you know, when, when the market crashed the last time around, we had a lot of distress in the, you know, the mortgage business and single right. family housing and people were walking away from their houses and right. a fix and flip made sense because the increase in value is going up. So quickly, right? I mean, you yeah. would get in, flip it, make money. Right. When it levels out a little bit and you have that type of a market, there you lose the fix and flip is not really there. Yeah. It's a little bit more of a slow approach to value. So then you have to do something a little more dramatic. If you're going to buy something, you better really buy a beater that needs <laughs> to be fixed up. Right. Or you have to buy something that you can add value by creating more density or adding an ADU or do, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, definitely seeing a lot of ADUs being built. Um, that's a big trend uh, that we're seeing. I mean, especially with our second mortgage product, like people are just doing a second adding an ADU. Now they have more rent and then it's become in their value goes up and then they can refi or whatever. 
Um, I know, you know, over the years you've built relationships and that's probably something that's helped contribute to your success. What would you tell uh, someone listening or someone that's, you know, newer in the business? Like what's kind of a secret to success as far as like, you know, solidifying and building good referral relationships? I think, um, I don't know. I kind of, I just grew up on the, the old school of hard work. Yeah. So it's it, funny that it's old school. Huh? It's old school. I don't know. Maybe it's it's, it's so current, but yeah. it was get in the office first and leave last and um, work harder than the next guy and out you know outperform him and learn more and grow yeah. quicker and that was kind of my philosophy of starting in the business. I didn't really have another fallback, so that's what I did. But I think I think hard work, um, you know, honesty. Yep. Um, Delivering good, valuable information to people is is really important. Just to making yourself valuable to clients and and people are trying to understand what they're going to do with their assets and mm-hmm. gain knowledge on the marketplace. That's cool. Yeah. Um, what about AI? Do you see anything disrupting the commercial space with AI at all? Um, you know, we were just we just had a, a kind of a company meeting this morning, and we were we actually were talking about. AI a little bit. I not not yet. I yeah. think I think there's you know boatloads of it's great for information mm-hmm. if you want to get a letter drafted or you know I need I'm doing a presentation on this. Give me an outline. It, you know, right. It, it totally helps. There's yeah. some there's some cool things like that. Um, so far, I think the applications are gonna that are real tangible applications that really work for specifically what you're doing in your business. Mm-hmm are going to take a while yeah, to really transpire to where it's functional. Right. You could probably do some good research on markets and stuff, but, but some of the AI is still outdated as far as like their, their knowledge is still back. Like what? 21 mm-hmm. you know, instead of 2000 point where we are today. Um, but once, if they do allow it to be like real time, like that could probably really help or at least, maybe take away some of the research analysts and stuff like that. Yeah, I think so. Just for for market data and information or even taking data and assembling it into a format that's useful for how you can use it in your your own business. Got to be specific. Yeah. And the general approach is probably not as tangible to helping your, your actual business day to day, but I, you know, there'll be applications for sure that will impact us. Yeah. Anything else that you see that's tech related that's kind of disruptive? No, I mean, we're doing a lot of, you know, in the retail world, it's about the consumer. Mm-hmm. So we do, there's a lot of mobile data now that we're utilizing to study um, where the consumers are visiting, how many trips, how many consumers are going in and out of a store or mm-hmm. a restaurant. Mm-hmm. What, what time of day are they coming in? And I mean, the amount of information you can actually get from yeah. a cell phone data is is pretty amazing is that like you'd go to verizon or somebody like that to get that data or do you get it from there's third-party providers so they actually it, it's not specific to you or me they can't can't say hey this is mike's phone and he's <laughs> mike's been going here a lot a, <laughs> but it's it's generic and but it's all all um combined into a big data source and hmm. you can you know we can say how many people are visiting you know, the in and out burger on in Mission Valley hmm. per week, or how many people are visiting the mall? Yeah. What's the foot traffic? When are they coming in? Are they coming in the morning? Are they coming in at night? How long are they staying? Where do they go before? Where do they go afterwards? Yeah. What days of the week are more popular? What days other? of the yeah. week? You can track if someone's having promotional events and things like that. They can, does that work? What's our normal traffic look like? Or are we up this year compared to last year? How's Christmas or interesting? What kind of, so there's real, like real live data there. That's pretty tangible Mm -hmm. that from a technology standpoint, that's been really helpful. I think for retailers and shopping center owners and it's cool. Cause then, you know, and can you tell like which stores they're visiting? Right. Like, so then you could say, well, there, there might be a good match to put if, if there's a fitness store, right? Like maybe there's a good match to put like a smoothie store in there. You know, it's like something that could like be cohesive or kind of, yeah, kind of. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of that. You can get super granular on it. Yeah, that's cool. Depending upon how deep you want to go. Even like demographics, like how, like the age groups and stuff. Can you do that or does that 
did not get that. Yeah, yeah, that does segmentations on who the consumers are, mm -hmm. um, what the demographic is. You know, all, all. I mean, you can go pretty deep. <laughs> that's cool. What that's kind of that's music a big part of our to? business that yeah. we we look at with um, the shopping centers is who, who's visiting, mm -hmm. who's the consumer, because you're catering to that, whoever that consumer is, those stores are catering to that consumer and that trip and that traffic. So yeah, that's cool. it's, it's a big part of, you know, the retailers that we work with or we help them expand their stores and come mm -hmm. up with a real estate strategy. A lot of the strategy is, is dictated around the customer. Yeah. Ultimately they, they want to open a store where they're going to have the best sales. Yeah. If you were to do it all over again, would you go right back into the same line of work? You think? Um, yeah, I mean, I love re retail in the commercial real estate world. Retail is probably the most brain damage. Mm. Um, How so? And it it's just more. There's a lot more complexity to it. The decision making part of it. Yeah. You know, if someone's going to rent an office space, they're you want to go to office A, B, C. You know, it's. It's um, retail is so location specific and, mm -hmm. and the sales are all driven by the location you're at. And is it on the corner or is it mm -hmm. one in or you block off or yeah. you're in the center you need to be in. So it's, I think for that reason, it's very interesting. Yeah. Right. And it's super engaging, but it's also a lot more, there's a lot more thought process and complexity to it mm -hmm. than just leasing an industrial box. Sure. More, more stuff that could go wrong, right, too? Yeah. And more, yeah, more nuances and how do you sort of tailor it towards your customer? I could see that. But for that reason, it's, it's exciting, you yeah. know, because you're kind of on the cutting edge of, of creating where we all go to shop and enjoy yeah. and eat out. And, you know, a project like Liberty Station, we worked on that for 20 years. And now it's, you know, it's become a pretty iconic Cool part project, of San Diego yeah. with, you know, the first food hall in San Diego and mm -hmm. Stone Brewery and just all kinds of F and B and outdoor spaces. So it's it's cool. It's fun, fun from that perspective. Does that ever give you like any kind of uh, when you start seeing these projects? I don't want to say insider information, but like information to where you're like, man, I could buy this because I know this is going in. I know this is going to be successful. And I guess maybe like first to market kind of information. Does it help like having that intel? But it's public, right? I mean, it's it's kind of public information, but you just have your finger on the pulse of it, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say we know about it before it's public. Yeah. Um, before, you know, anything's announced, we'll know who's going where. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of information that's not out there in the public realm. Somebody might, well, somebody doesn't see it until they see it. Right. And they yeah. visit it or until it's built. Yeah. So you can get like, I mean, you could get creative and say like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think. And maybe bring people together for other investment opportunities that could be, you know, win. So that's just kind of how I'm, maybe, maybe I need to keep your number and find, yeah, out, yeah. find out when some projects are going in and, you know, try to strategically, you know. I bet you that that could be an advantage for sure. Yeah. Cool. No, I mean, there's definitely a good advantage there. That's why a lot of people work with us because we can help them right. see what maybe they don't, they haven't seen yet. Yeah. You might know where like there's something like a zoning that's changing or something. Then you're like, oh, that something might go here or like, a, you know, maybe a re residential could go here and someone could have a an investment opportunity. That'd be cool. Um, any advice for commercial brokers in a tough market? Uh, I think tough market, just work hard and do what, what's been successful in the past. And I think, um, you know, tough markets produce opportunities. Right. So despite the fact we all kind of sometimes loathe <laughs> the tough market or um, the downturn, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times the best opportunities come from distressed times. Right. If you can get through the usually the first part of it, which maybe isn't a lot of fun opportunities open up yeah. along the way and on the back end of it. And if you're there still doing what you do and with your head down and working hard and and, you know, getting creative, then I think, I think tough times produce good opportunity. That's cool. So just stick it, stick through it, keep your head down. Don't get dis discouraged. I mean, you know, we all get discouraged, but like just pick yourself up and just, March forward and keep keep working hard. Right? I mean, it, 
everything changes, right? It's like, everything it's like changes. cycles and it's just a matter of time that just, you know, you gotta, you gotta wade through the time and look for the op- right opportunities, be open-minded and all that good stuff. I think that's, yeah. that's good. I think adapt, you know, look for new trends, look for where, where mm-hmm. things changing. Right. Cause you can't do, you can't always do your business the way you've always done it. Right. And you've probably had to adapt in terms of we did the markets and yeah the type of product you're offering and all of those kinds of things. Um, so that's the fun part of it too. Yeah, looking for those need like where the needs are at, you know, and, and saying how can I fill this need? And I think with anything in business, right, you got to always uh, feel like you got to always have your finger on the pulse and know what's happening. Otherwise, you just someone else is going to beat you to it, right? Yeah, yeah. everybody's looking for the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's why, you, like what you said earlier, is like just outwork them. It's like work harder. Just and, and I think that's there's times when you can kind of cruise and just sort of surf the the wave, but you gotta. There's other times where you gotta paddle hard to get to the wave, right? And like and that's and like be on the lookout for the wave and like know where that trend's coming and and so I think that's that's good advice. Um, what about shout outs? Anyone that you know has helped you along the way that you want to just just give a shout out to? Um. Shout out to, I'd say my partners, my, my brother and Don and Ron Pepper are great partners for many years now. I have an incredible marketing assistant who's Maya Grimm has been with me for almost 30 years. It's like my right hand. Cool. And, uh, my beautiful wife and bride who's keeps everything going. Yeah. We can't do it without them, huh? Yeah. Yep. Good. Well, cool. Any, any last words or how, how can someone find you if they want to talk to talk to you about a project or something that they're, you know, they're, they're interested in? Um, how would someone find you? In your um, they could go over at retailinsight.net. They can look us up online and send an email. Cool. Give us a call. Awesome. Well, very cool. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. Um, well, everyone listening, thanks for listening. And again, like, share, subscribe. Tell your friends about these podcasts. If you know anyone interested in the commercial uh, real estate world, please uh, share this podcast with them and and hit Mike up too. So uh, thanks again for watching and we'll see you on the next one. The Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast.